Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. So good to see you today. My name's Anthony and I have the privilege of leading Ivy Church and together with a fantastic team. And uh, we're going to start today looking at something that usually in the run-up to Christmas, we kind of have a little focus, a bit of a reminder, because so much can go on around us at Christmas time, and all of the adverts, even more this year, people are going to be desperately trying to sell you things, especially during whatever time it is that the shops are open, and uh, trying to tell you that that's really what Christmas is all about. And you know what? It is not. Christmas is all about Jesus Christ, and we want to make him our focus in this year of focus so would you pray with me that we'll be able to see that and remember it Lord we just come to you as we're getting excited in the run-up to Christmas as I'm seeing on Facebook that many people are putting their Christmas trees up already and starting to want to get excited about Christmas Lord that we'll keep you at the center of it all and as we start to move towards our Christmas celebrations and services here at Ivy Lord we want to put you front and center in everything not to be distracted by so many other things even distracted by the hard things in this year Lord you are our focus keep our eyes on you in Jesus name amen so what did your mum and dad tell you when you were a child when you had two cookies and your brother and sister had none was it quick eat them both before she can get the other one I doubt it see when kids have some when kids have more than they need of anything and somebody hasn't you know what mums and dads and aunties and uncles and teachers would tell you they'd say share Good parents will say, don't be greedy, you have to learn to share. Maybe that's why Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away. Now imagine seeing the whole world from God's point of view. The father can see everybody in the world. He gave everything to everybody and he sees everybody who's got two cookies and everybody who's got none, all at the same time. What do you think God the father would say? If God has blessed me with more than I need, what if it's not just so I can hold on tight to it or have it all, but so I can gratefully share with others? See, embracing that simple truth is at the heart of what we're going to look at today and in our grow groups this week. It can make all the difference, not just in the run up to Christmas, but for how we view life. If we see that when it comes to money, the big difference between people is not what they have in the bank, but what they have in their hearts okay again what do we do when we're kids and we don't want to share what do we say we say it's not fair even though it is why because we think we deserve everything that comes our way and we want to keep it we want to hold on to it we say what's mine is mine it's not yours and that's why it's hard to get a naturally greedy person like me to live a generous life I'm speaking you today as a recovering greedaholic My name is Anthony and I am a greedaholic and that's the natural way that I think and I live. Maybe some of us, you could look back to when you were growing up and, you know, even though I had great parents, we weren't rich in monetary terms and didn't always get what we needed. One Christmas, actually, I was given an empty cardboard box and told it was an action man deserter. That's not really true. It's just a daft joke. But the thing is, when we're children, you know, the way in which we are brought up can kind of make us generous or it can actually make us want to hold on tighter to what we've got. But it isn't about rich and poor. Some people who grow up with a silver spoon in their mouth never want to kind of take it out. They get a taste for it. 
and they never want to share, never learn to share. So what, again, if it's not about income, but what's inside, what's inside comes out when you squeeze, like we talked about last week. Every time the Bible talks about this, it tells me it's about the heart. And I've never seen my heart. It's an inside job, which is why this is so hard to spot in ourselves. Now, if you've ever clicked on Ivy before, you're going to know by now that we love to talk about why we love God. We, we want to sing about his love. We want to declare how kind and good and generous he is. It's one of our favorite things to do in church. You know, I love that song. I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. It's just like, yes, I love it. Because everything about living as a follower of Christ comes back to that self-giving love of God as being the root of why we love him so much and why we want to give something back to him. And now when I hear the, use the word giving, and even when Louise mentioned it before, I can see kind of through the screen. And I know that some of you kind of wince a little bit. Maybe you think, oh, I don't want to even hear anything about that, especially at this time of year. Some people hearing that word at any time, it just makes you want to turn off. And yes, there's been a lot of wrong teaching. There's been undue pressure. And there's guilt and condemnation comes into this sometimes in churches over the years. So I get that. In fact, just so you know, I am not going to ask you today to give to Ivy. Please do not go to the website. Please do not give an offering. We're not going to take an offering today because I don't want to talk to you today about giving. I want to talk to you about generosity. Because you could give today. You could be the biggest giver to this church or you could give a huge amount compared to somebody else. But they have a generous heart and you don't. Jesus saw that happen one day when a widow was going into the temple and he called out her generosity and the greed of all the other people who were giving that day. It wasn't that they weren't giving, but they were not generous when they gave and Jesus knew that. So how do we define generous? The same way we define love. God is generous. God gave whatever it cost so that sinners like you and me who could never save ourselves would be invited home to his love free and forgiven forever he paid the ultimate price as he gave his own son as we read about in John chapter 3 verse 16 maybe the most famous verse in the bible so nobody can doubt the generosity of God can they can they do we? Yes, we do. I do. Because I'm a recovering greedaholic. And it always starts when I forget the goodness of God. That's when I start to doubt the generosity of God and I start to worry about the provision of God. This week, God grabbed me when I wrote that word down in my notes, provision. He spoke to me and he said, look that up. And, it, and see, literally, it comes from two Latin words. And it literally, provision and provide, provide, means foresight. Do you know, God sees what you need before you need it. Do you know that? That God already knows that he's already seen what you need. Do you trust his provision for your life? Remembering he already gave whatever it cost 2,000 years ago. Do we actually still trust or doubt that he's going to give us what we need today? 
or tomorrow. Imagine going to Jesus, just picture this, as he's dying on the cross. Imagine going up to him and saying, Lord, I know that by doing this, you're forgiving all my sins. And I'm really, really grateful. But I've just been thinking that maybe, just maybe, I'll sin tomorrow or in a week or two, believe it or not. And I'm not sure when that happens that you're going to love me enough then to provide forgiveness for those sins. Would you ever say that? Would you say, oh, and by the way, or if and when I sin, maybe next Thursday or next year, I want you to know that when that happens, I will provide forgiveness then for my own sins because I'm not sure that you'll have enough grace for me, that you'll forgive me then. Would you ever say that? See, if you did, the only reason, it would only be for one reason alone, you simply didn't get it. You thought you were your own source and supply, so you thought you could be your own saviour. In Romans 8, verse 32, the Apostle Paul asks a question that again goes to the heart of the matter. He says this, he, he's talking about God, he who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also, along with him or together with him, graciously give us all things? It's a trust question. You know, it's like, if I gave you a billion quid yesterday, do you think that you could offend me? Do you think, do you think if you asked me for a pound tomorrow, I'd worry about it? No, but we forget because we get scared. See, the gospel says that because of his great love for us, God gave us Jesus. Because Jesus loves us, he gave himself willingly to die for our sins, all of them, past, present, and future, all covered. Love is what motivated God's generosity. And when people in the early church saw that, and when they got it, if they got it, it changed everything for them. And it motivated them to live generously too. God gave them his heart of generosity. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth to brag to them about some people in other churches in Macedonia. He knew they had really got it, but the Corinthian churches at the time, well, they, they talked a good give, but they just never got round to doing it. So to prompt them, he tells them about this other church, these other people in Macedonia. He tells them about these really poor people who were rich in generosity. Rich in love. Let me, it reads like this. He says, We must tell you about the grace God poured out upon the churches of Macedonia. For even during a season of severe difficulty and tremendous suffering, they became even more filled with joy. From the depths of their extreme poverty, superabundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity. For I can verify that they spontaneously gave not only according to their means, but far beyond what they could afford. They actually begged us for the privilege of sharing in this ministry of giving. Can you imagine that? You know, sometimes people can send emails in and moan about and complain or come and grab you after a service. And it's like, oh, I don't want to talk about money in church. These guys were exactly the opposite. They were like, please, please, can we give? And guess what? They were going through hard times, severe trials and extreme poverty, it says in the NIV. And you and me would say, well, they can't give. Nobody would expect that. Paul was trying to put them off too. But they were saying, no, please, we want to share. Why? Because they loved. That's why. Because they loved 
they gave. Not just what they could, but what they couldn't. That is generosity. It's going above and beyond. Because generosity is not about giving. It's about love. It's about the heart. Now, when God took the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he knew the hardest part about that would not be breaking off the chains around their necks or their legs or their hands. It wasn't hard for God to send the plagues or part the sea so that they could walk out of Egypt. God did that easily. The hardest chains to break were around their hearts, their hardened attitudes and their thinking. See, he'd set them off. They were in the direction of the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. But they were still fearful slaves in their minds. That's why 99% of the ones who came out of Egypt did not enter in in the end. God had a provision. He wanted to bring them into the place that he prepared. But he knew that the condition of their hearts would determine whether or not they could enter into that amazing place of abundance. Or whether they still stay slaves in their heads. Deuteronomy chapter 15, you could open your Bibles and have a look. Follow this because we're going to look at it for a little while. God promised this. He said, there need be no poor people among you in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance. For he will richly bless you if, say if, say it so I can hear you. If, thank you guys in the here, if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today, for the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised. And you will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. In other words, God says, I'm promising you'll always have enough, enough to do what I want. Not enough necessarily to do what you want, but enough to do what I want. That's what true abundance is. Enough to be generous. So open up your Bible, app or whatever, find Deuteronomy 15, and God's going to put the stethoscope on our hearts. Four types of hearts, four heart conditions, and every one of us falls into one of these four types today. As I look at it, I can sometimes be all four in the same day. But God wants me to have a heart like his generous heart. So let's go. The first heart is the greedy heart. God commands, starting at verse 7, when you happen on somebody who's in trouble or needs help among your people with whom you live in this land that God your God is giving you, don't look the other way pretending you don't see him. Don't keep a tight grip on your purse. The other translations say, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. No, Look at him. Open your purse. Lend him as much as he needs, whatever he needs. Don't count the cost. Don't listen to that selfish voice, the one inside. Don't turn aside and leave your needy neighbour in the lurch refusing to help him. He'll call God's attention to you and your blatant sin. Wow. Now, as a recovering greedaholic, that was me. When I first started to hear any teaching about generosity. See, I thought I was generous before I was a Christian. I did the, I did the football card in the pub. I bought a round and sometimes I even put the change in the charity box. Looking back though, when I did give, it was a self-focused kind of reluctant giving. If you'd asked me though, do you think you've got a greedy heart? Well, me and you would then have a problem. Come to think about it, I don't think I've ever come across a person who thought their major spiritual problem was greed. Tim Keller, 
in one of his books, says that he wrote a series on the Ten Commandments and he was preaching it to his church and he had record turnout for some of them. But his wife said, hardly anybody's going to turn up for the one on greed, on coveting. And she was dead right. See, I've had people over the years admit their struggles about pretty much anything you can imagine. But I can't ever remember anybody, young or old, man or woman, who came and said, I struggle with greed. I think I might have a greedy heart. I might be a greedy person. What they'll say instead is, I'm really worried. Or I'm fearful. Or I'm careful. Nobody says, I'm greedy. Why? Because it's almost impossible to identify greed in our own hearts. I mean, if I struggle with anger, if I struggle with shame or guilt, that can be easily identified. But greed hides in our hearts and it actually hides behind all kinds of virtues, all kinds of good things. It can hide behind saving. Now, of course, saving is a wise and good thing. The Bible talks about that. We'll look at that in our grow groups. Join one of our grow groups. It can hide behind planning and planning is a good thing. It can hide behind wanting to just make sure my future is secure for myself and my family. Of course, that's a good thing, right? Greed is easy to hide from myself. That's why it's so hard to see in a mirror. But over time, people around us get to see it. People around us know because it isn't hard to see in somebody else. Andy Stanley in his book Enemies of the Heart says this about greedy people as a diagnostic. He has a list of them. He says greedy people talk a lot and worry a lot about money. Greedy people may give but they are not cheerful givers. Greedy people are reluctant to share. Greedy people are poor losers. Greedy people quibble over insignificant sums of money. Greedy people talk as though they only ever have just enough to get by. Greedy people are reluctant to express gratitude. Greedy people won't let you forget what they've done for you. Greedy people are not content with what they have, no matter what it is. He goes on to write this. Greed knows no socioeconomic boundaries. He says, I've met greedy poor people and greedy rich people. Greed is not a financial issue, it's a heart issue. Financial gain doesn't make greedy people less greedy. Financial loss doesn't change anything either because greed emanates from the heart. Now that flows over into the next kind of heart that God talks about as he's trying to help his people stop thinking like slaves, like they used to be, but to step into becoming sons and daughters, trusting his provision. The grudging heart from verse 10 says this, give, God says, freely and spontaneously. Don't have a stingy heart. The way you handle matters like this triggers God, your God's blessing in everything you do, all your work and ventures. He says there are always going to be poor and needy people around you. So I command you, always be generous. Open purse and hands. Give to your neighbours in trouble, your poor and hurting neighbours. Now notice, the grudging heart gives, but it says... I don't have to be happy about it. There's an obligation. There's a resentment even that can be attached to it. That's not loving, is it? 
It's like when Judas says, just after a woman has poured out the most extravagant, generous gift by pouring this fragrance all over him, very costly, Judas goes, huh, we could have used that for something else. But his heart didn't want to help anybody, actually, except he wanted to help himself to the money. The grudging heart is not giving with an open hand, but with an arm up your back. So you can give. You can give your time. You can give your money. You can give your service. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you've worked miracles, Jesus says. If one day when you meet him, he says, I never knew you. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? See, God so wants us to have a heart like his. A greedy heart hates to give. A grudging heart gives without love. A generous heart, this is the key, loves to give. It gives from love. It gives because of love. A generous heart, verse 12, says this. If somebody, that you, if somebody was sold to you and has served you for six years, in the seventh year you must set him or her free. God was back, he wasn't going to let anybody stay a slave forever. That's not what he wanted. They must be released into a free life. And when you set them free, don't send them off empty-handed. Provide them with some animals, plenty of bread and wine and oil. Load them with provisions from all the blessings with which God, your God, has blessed you. Now, it's important to understand what he's saying here and when he's saying and who's he saying it to. God is looking into their future here. When they've come into that promised land, when they've received all of his provision in the promised land, he gives an example for what it will be like then to be a generous person. So he picks something they'll relate to, a servant. Remember, these people did not have servants at this time. They'd just come out of slavery themselves. None of them had servants. But he wants them to show how to think and act in the future, if and when they have obeyed their way into the promised land. So he says, when you get to that place, when there's enough, he doesn't want them to just do the bare minimum. He says, I always want you to go above and beyond. That's generosity, because that's what generosity does. It doesn't just give. A generous heart goes above and beyond, because I know I've been blessed, so I want to share. I know that blessings have come to me, but I don't just want more blessings, because blessings have come my way. I don't want all the blessings just for me when they come. I don't assume they're all for me when blessings come my way. I actually want to find some way, someone to load up, somebody in need, somebody who actually has a big problem maybe, to find that person. And with provisions from my own blessings, rather than worrying about what I've got, worry about what they've not got and give to them from what the Lord gave me. Now, what holds me back from living like that, sharing like that? Fear. Fear drives a greedy heart. So you don't give. You hold on tight. Fear lurks in a grudging heart, so when you give, it really is the least you can do. And there's no joy in it. But the father says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me and I will direct your paths. Fear replies when it hears that, no, there isn't enough. There won't be enough for us. There isn't going to be enough for you. It makes me hold so tight to the cookies that I break them. 
See, when you peel back all the perfectly reasonable reasons not to be generous, greed is always connected to fear. It's always connected to what ifs. There's always a what if. What if the harvest fails this year and I just gave that servant my donkey and my bread and my wine and my oil? What if I lend it to you and you break it? What if it gets lost? What if there's not enough? That's what fear says all the time. What if I don't get my fair share? What if the economy collapses? What if, what if, what if? What if you, God, can't or won't take care of me? That's the heart issue. Or more to the point, people get afraid that God won't take care of them in the fashion or the style in which their greedy hearts want to be cared for. And this gap opens up between what we think God might be willing to provide and what I want and need to make me really happy. And the wider the gap, the more that becomes a major source of anxiety. Because now I have to fill the gap. I have to shoulder the burden to somehow get and keep everything I need to provide the security that I crave. But the problem is, like all human appetites, the appetite for financial security can never be fully and finally satisfied. There's never enough. So the acquisition, the hoarding, the self-indulgence continue. And that shows the real problem that hides in my heart and wants to keep me from being not just someone who gives, but somebody who is generous. The problem is there's never enough. Because the desire for stuff can never be fully or finally satisfied. There's always more I think I need. And if I hold on to my greedy heart, or even if I give with a grudging heart, there's never enough. Never enough for me to take the risks, actually to have the fun that only somebody with a generous heart ever really sees. Never enough to load anybody else up. There's never going to be enough to satisfy the need to feel secure in light of all conceivable eventualities. And there's always another desire, there's always another want, there's always another kind of need that drives the heart to acquire more, 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 more. So what do we do? I, God promised this, the solution, through the prophet Ezekiel. He said, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone. Are you willing to have that surgery done today? And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you, says the Lord. See, the answer is I need a heart transplant. Only the Holy Spirit can do that surgery. And he does it without anesthetic. You have to be awake for it to happen. Because the only way I can ever get rid of my old heart of stone is to, be, is to become like God's generous heart and the way that that grows the way the spirit tenderizes and makes it softer and responsive to others is I have to have a grateful heart a grateful heart gives me a generous heart in the next verses God says to these people who remember for generations used to be trapped in Egypt born and raised in terrible slavery and bondage with no way out no pay just barely enough to exist God says remember he says don't for a minute forget that you were once slaves in Egypt and God, your God, redeemed you from that slavery. For that reason this day, I command you to do this, to be generous. Don't forget, he says, what I brought you out of because remembering that will help bring you in to where I want to take you. 
a grateful heart never forgets what God has already done for me. In case you're checking this out and wondering, that is why we worship. And we're going to do it again in a moment. That's why we want to give when we give. We never want to strong arm anybody into that. Because you know what? God doesn't need anything from you. And he'd never want anything from a greedy or grudging heart. Because that's not loving when I give. But when I remember, you know, I look back at my life and I think about what it is, what it would be sometimes were it not for Jesus. Looking at me from the outside, when I met Jesus, I was young and fit and healthy. I had money. I had a great career. I had all the world could offer. But what a mess I was. And when Jesus found me and showed me I was a slave, a slave to sin with no way out, drinking hard, hurting people, spending everything I got on me, me, me. Oh man, if I'd have stayed that way, where would I be now? Now, the other day, I pass a man lying on the street under a blanket with an empty bottle next to him. And I think, how come God has blessed me so much? I don't know that guy's story. I don't know what's brought him to this place. I don't know why God hadn't blessed, has blessed me so richly. But he's so kind. Why me? What have I done to deserve so much from God? Why me? I'm no better than that guy. I don't deserve anything. That makes me want to be generous to him because of what God did for me. Think about all you have. If you're watching in the UK, I pretty much guarantee what you have now is considerably more than people who are watching from many other parts of the globe could lay claim to. I imagine it's more than your parents had at, your, at their age, isn't it? See, this year wants you to make you think this is the worst ever. But I wish I could talk to my grandparents again and hear about their lives and how happy they were. So why you? Why do you have so much? A consumer-driven culture keeps us laser-focused on what we don't have. Fear wants us to look at what we might not get. Greed wants me to stay on a quest for more. And whatever comes my way, if more comes my way, it makes me want to assume it's all just for me. So I live for the next purchase, the next upgrade, planning a future of greater consumption while asking all the time, why don't I have enough? Instead of, how come I have so much what if the answer to that question is it's so I can be grateful and have something to be generous with and have a heart that's more like the Lord's who gave everything for me? So this week, in a moment, we will not put up a slide that links to how you can give to Ivy. Instead, what about spending some time asking gratefully in the presence of the Lord, why me? Lord, why do I have so much? Why do I have so many blessings? And then go after thinking about that and find somebody this week that you can generously bless, somebody in real need, and load them up with blessings out of what the Lord has blessed you with. Do it in secret so they don't know who it comes from. But you know, Jesus says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I'm going to finish with this little fun poem and then we'll worship. A woman was waiting at an airport one night with many long hours before her flight. She found a book in the airport shop and a bag of cookies and a place to drop. Engrossed in her book 
she happened to see that the man sitting beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag in between, which he tried to ignore to avoid a scene. She munched the cookies and watched the clock as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. Her collar went hot as the minutes ticked by, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I'd blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. With only one left, what would he do? With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half as, she, as he ate the other. She snatched it quickly and thought, oh, brother, this guy has some nerve. He's so very rude to not even show me some gratitude. She could not recall when she'd last been so galled and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She grabbed her belongings and went to the gate, refusing to look at the thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat, then looked for her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her baggage, she gasped with surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned in despair, the others were his and he tried to share. Too late to apologise, she realised with grief that she was the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. I love that poem. And when my friend J. John reads it, he always says afterwards, remember, God owns all the cookies. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.